Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Psalms. We've entitled the series Worship in Technicolor, and certainly this morning's message is all about that. The title of this morning's message is Worship the King. Worship the King. So I've got to set up the message for you a little bit. And to do that, I need to introduce a question for you. Here's the question. Will God fulfill his promise to bless his people? Will God fulfill his promise to bless his people? So let me just look you right in the eye. So I'm going to bring it down right here to you. Will God fulfill his promise to bless you? Now, you may be asking me, well, Al, what is that promise? Do I have a promise that God will bless me? All right, we're going to take a look at that today. But, but if you're a Christian, you probably have a sense, you've probably heard somewhere that, yes, as a Christian, I am blessed. Now, will God fulfill that promise to bless you? That is what's behind Psalm 2 this morning. And to understand Psalm 2, we've got to understand the, the actors in this psalm, the players in this psalm. There are four voices in this psalm. The very first voice in this psalm is the voice of God. As a matter of fact, if you look at it in verse 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers have counseled together against the Lord and against his anointed. So the first voice in the psalm is the Lord and his anointed. There's God. But there's a second voice in this psalm. There's the voice of King David. This psalm was written about 1000 B.C., And it was written to the people of whom David was king. And that voice is God's people. King David representing God's people. And then there's a third voice in this psalm. We see it in verse 1. Why do the nations rage? The nations are those who oppose God and his people. And the peoples plot in vain. These are the people that God, that have opposed God. And the kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers take counsel together. So you've got this this voice of the nations raging against God. The the peoples raging against God. You have this voice of rulers and kings. And if we can get that next slide and get the the four voices up there. These, These voices are speaking in this psalm. But then there's there's a fourth voice. Can you guess whose voice that is? Do you remember last week's message? It's your voice. It's my voice. It's the voice of God's people. Not only is there the voice of God, the Son, the Anointed, the Lord, it's not only the voice of King David who wrote this psalm in 1000 BC to his people, it's not only the voice of those rebellious rulers and kings and people who are raging against God, there's this drama going on, but it's our voice. It's our voice. Because the question remains... The previous slide, will God fulfill his promise to bless his people? Listen, this is a question that you must ask yourself. Will God fulfill his promise to bless you? And what does that mean? It's the question of scripture. Why? Because the backdrop of really every page of this scripture is, will God fulfill his promise to bless mankind that deserves to be cursed? The storyline of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation 
is will God fulfill his promise at the very beginning of time to bless mankind, though mankind deserves a curse because mankind rebelled against God? That's the question that hangs over this psalm. That's how you write your story, dear friend, into this psalm. No matter where you are, physically, spiritually, emotionally, will God bless you? And if so, how and why? That's the question. There, there's, this, there's this drama. There's evil forces arrayed against God and his people. There are God's people, King David in 1000 BC, us today. There, there's the voice of the Lord. Let's listen to that voice. You ready? Psalm 2, verse 1. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this morning, if we can do this. I'm going to ask you to read it with me. Psalm 2, verse 1. If you have it in your Bibles, I'm reading from the ESV. If not, you can read with me. Let's read it. I want you to read it out loud as I read it. Let's read it together. You ready? Here we go. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the question is, how will we receive God's blessing? King David is writing this psalm as the king. He is the one who is ruling over Israel in 1000 BC. And he's describing in verses 1 to 3, those who are arrayed against God. Do you see them there? The nations, kings, rulers. And they're plotting against God's people. They're trying to block the blessing. They are not recipients of the blessing. They are opponents to the blessing. They want to bring a curse on God's people. They want to attack God's people. Both in 1000 BC, Israel at that time, with King David over them, and today. And today, as God's people, there are arrayed against God and thus against us, enemies. Both in the heavenlies that we cannot see, and on earth that we can see. Rulers, kings, peoples, nations. And the question is, can they block God's blessing. We'll look at verse 4. David now narrates God's response to them, both in 1000 BC to a people that are huddled together on this little hill called Jerusalem, on this place where David is king, and he's saying it to us today in Miami Lakes. 
Here is God's response to everybody that would say, we're taking God and his people down. Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God will see that the enemies that are against him and against his people are defeated. And the way he does that is he sets his king on his holy hill. Friends, that king in Psalm 2 at that time was King David. But oh, listen, that king today is Jesus Christ who is the greater David, the greater ruler, who is on God's holy hill. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And he's speaking to us today that the way God establishes his promise, his blessing to you and to me, the way God opposes his enemy is he sets his king on his holy hill. Has he set that king on the hill of your heart? Because that's the only way you're going to receive the promise and the blessing. This is how you write your story on this story. It's not just about Israel in 1000 BC. It's not just about a King David in 1000 BC. Oh, he existed. There's historical artifacts about him and he ruled that nation. And it's not just about Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross 2000 years ago. Oh, he did historical figure. But listen, it's about you right now. Which King is on the Holy Hill of your life? There's only one through whom the promise and blessing of God comes. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And then in verses 7 to 9, we have a prophetic word. David is not only king, but he's a prophet. And in verses 7 to 9, David is not going to prophesy to the people listening to him in 1000 BC who are under his kingship. And a little bit afraid about all those enemies out there that want to crush Israel. But it seems like nothing's changed, has it? But he also speaks to us today because he's a prophet. Now listen to what he says. Read with me verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Listen, David is talking about himself. Because David understood that God had established him as king over Israel. And as the king over Israel, he understood in the Old Testament that the king of Israel, God's people, is called God's son. And David is saying to Israel, listen, this is God's decree. God is going to use us to rule the nations because it is through us that the nations will be blessed. Stay with me. Stay with me. This is very good. This is the most real thing you're ever going to hear. Because we're in the line with David and his people. Because you see, David was a prophet. And he was talking about not just himself, but the ultimate king, Jesus. How so, Al? What is this, prophet? What is this promise, Al? All right, let me start at the beginning again and describe it for you. When David wrote Psalm 2, David was thinking about the day that he was inaugurated as king. And that day 
was recorded in 2 Samuel 7.14 on the screen. 2 Samuel 7.14. This is what God said to David on that day. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So stay with me. 1000 BC, God chooses David and says, I'm making a covenant with you that your throne will be established forever. Now, now, is David alive? He's not. So David understood, oh yeah, this is talking about me, but it's talking about someone greater than me. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And David understood that this covenant that God was making with him in 2 Samuel 14 was simply the fulfillment of the promise that God had made 1,000 years earlier to Abraham. God had promised Abraham that through him, a Hebrew, the Jewish people, God would bless all the nations. And David understood because God enabled him to understand that that promise would be fulfilled through David, a king who would rule generously and benevolently against all the wicked. But he also understood that he would not be the one ultimately to fulfill that. There would be another one, the Lord's anointed, that's where we get that word Messiah, The the only begotten son of God that we read here in the text in verse 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. David's writing that and saying, God spoke that to me. But as a prophet, David's writing that and saying, oh, but that's not ultimately me. That's someone else. That's Jesus. Whose throne would be forever and forever. So this is how it maps onto our lives. The promise of blessing, remember, the opening question in this drama is whether God would fulfill his promise to you and to me, to his people. And David is saying, yes, he will. He'll do it through a king, a king like me. And so this psalm calls us to worship that king. And that's the main point of the psalm. Worship Jesus Christ, your warrior king. Worship Jesus Christ, your warrior king. He's your warrior king. He's the king who will fulfill God's promise for you. He's the king that will bring blessing to you. Now, how does it map onto us today? To do that, we must understand how the New Testament church understood this psalm. Promise to Abraham, 2000 BC. I'll bless all the nations through you. Promise to David, 1000 BC. Through you, you will rule the nations because it is my rule and I will bless the nations through you. Promise to the church, 33 AD, a thousand years after David, that that king that David prophesied about has come and it's Jesus. Now, does the scripture bear that out? Is that really what the text says? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look how the early church understood this psalm too. How did the early church use it? Point one, they used it to tell everyone and to begin with themselves to worship Jesus Christ. To worship Jesus Christ. This text was used at Jesus' baptism on the screen, Matthew 3.17. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Here is God saying, This is the one. A thousand years later, this is the one David spoke about. This is the one whose kingdom will never end. This is the anointed one who will rule the nations for good and would bring the promise, the blessing that I said would come. Listen to how Paul uses this text in Acts 13, 32 through 33. And we bring you good news. By the way, parenthetically, Paul was preaching this at a place called Pisidian Antioch, it was very close to where Corey preached just a few weeks ago in Adana, Turkey. I find that fascinating. So this is the first missionary journey. Paul is preaching. He's preaching the gospel. And he's going to use Psalm 2. Listen carefully to what he says. And we bring you the good news that what God promised the fathers, Abraham, David, This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you're my son, today I've begotten you. This is the fulfillment. How do we know God is going to keep his promise to bless his people? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. Paul is preaching the gospel. Will you worship this Jesus? That was Paul's question to these people will you bow your knee and repent and believe and worship this jesus and it's the same question today this is jesus the anointed one jesus the messiah jesus the savior world this is jesus the warrior king so how does this map onto your life will you worship jesus point two will you preach jesus Will you preach Jesus? He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the anointed one. Now we pick up the story with Peter. Peter has just finished preaching Jesus. God has healed a lame man in the temple. Peter and John step up and preach Jesus. The authorities, the rulers, the kings, arrest them and warn them, you better stop preaching Jesus. They release Peter and John. Peter and John come back to the believers in Jerusalem and listen to what they said. Acts chapter 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And when they, these are all the disciples, imagine yourselves in that room, heard it, what I just described to you, Peter gave them an account of what happened. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, there, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's a rich line right there, friends. They're about to quote Psalm 2. What that tells you is that Scripture is breathed out from God. It is God's word. The church in the first century is saying about the church in 1000 BC. That word, Psalm 2, is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. David was prophesying and talking about Jesus. Who through the mouth of our father, verse 25, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, quote, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. So they interpreted Psalm 2-1 
as being fulfilled by what happened with Herod and Pilate in the time of Jesus, that the rulers of the world, the Jewish rulers and the Roman rulers, set themselves up against God's anointed Messiah, Savior of the world, and they plotted against him in vain. Why was it in vain? We sang about it this morning. Because they plotted against Jesus to kill him and to snuff out this rebellion that he was starting But it was in vain because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Satan himself thought, I've killed him. This is the one. I've been searching history since 2000 BC. I've been looking for this seed of Abraham, this Hebrew who would come and bless the nations. And I thought it was David. I tried to kill David. I tried to use Saul to kill David. I tried to use all the Moabites and and Amorites and all the other ites out there. And they couldn't kill David. But then David's talking about another one. Who is he? I mean, put yourself in one of these dramas. Who is the chosen one? Who's the one that's going to set us free? It's exciting. And I got him. It's Jesus Christ. Oh, nice job. You almost hit him from me. Born in Nazareth from a, to a poor family. His dad was a carpenter. Kind of snuck up on me, but I got him. I got him on that cross. You know what God says? It was in vain. The Bible says that on the cross, God defeated the forces of darkness in the crucifixion of Christ. And three days later... Hell itself was howling in misery when Jesus rose from the dead. It says, I'm the one. Your plots are in vain. And I'll just say this to you, Christian. No matter how you feel right now, how difficult life is, you may think the whole world is plotting against you. You may think, man, God laughs in the face of your enemies because they're his enemies, Christian. And God has promised Jesus won the victory. He rules and he reigns. It is Jesus. And so listen to how it informed their prayers. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Preach Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. May it be, Lord. And continue to speak the word of God with boldness. How does this map onto your life? Preach Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because he rules, my friend. No matter how awful it may seem, seem to you. No matter how many enemies are arrayed against you. And there was a ton arrayed against them. Every authority possible was against the Christians at that time. But God gave them boldness. Even to be willing to give their life. Third way that we map this onto our lives is trust Jesus Christ as the conquering king. Trust Jesus Christ as a conquering king. Now some 40 years later, 40 years after Peter wrote these words, probably around 70-something, maybe as late as 90-something A.D., the church is really under pressure. And the apostle John is a prisoner. He's in exile on the island of Patmos, which we saw that island a couple of years ago. We've sailed by it. He had been the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he was exiled. And the church was being decimated by the Roman Empire. And Christians were being, being at, beginning to wonder, oh Lord, where are you? We are worshiping you as Lord. We only worship you as Lord. We do not worship any of the other gods. We do not worship Caesar. And we're being crucified. We're being crushed because of it. We preach you, Jesus, because you alone are Savior. It is through you that all of the blessings and promises come. But oh Lord, we're being, we're being decimated. Now, maybe you're not being decimated in that way. 
But you sure feel pressure, don't you? Subtle, though it may be. Maybe not so subtle. Maybe you're being denied promotions, maybe even a job. I can tell you right now that our brothers and sisters in other countries, one of which I just returned from, are certainly feeling the pressure. And the way they mapped Psalm 2 onto their lives, and the way Psalm 2 encouraged them, and I pray the way it would encourage you, is to trust Jesus Christ as the conquering king. Listen to what John writes. Listen to how John uses Psalm 2. Revelation 19, verse 15. He's got a vision now. He sees Jesus as the returning king. This is in the future. This is Christ's second coming. From his mouth, his being Jesus, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. That's Psalm 2 language. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. That is definitely Psalm 2 language. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. That's definitely Psalm 2 language at the end of the psalm, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Verse 16. And on his robe, and on his thigh, he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. So Al, where do you see here that the promise will be fulfilled? Where does it say here that God will fulfill his promise to you? It says it in the last verse. Don't you see it? Kiss the son. That is a poetic way to say give homage to the son. Give your obedience to the son. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in in him take refuge from what from the wrath of god only in jesus who took your sin only in jesus who is the one promised at the very beginning to reverse the curse by becoming a curse for you only in jesus and here's the warning The blessing, the promise will come if you bow your knee and you kiss the Son, you give homage to the Son, you take refuge in the Son. Listen, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I beg you this morning, take refuge in the Son, bow your knee to the Son, humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me, I trust you, I believe you, show me. And if you're a Christian, oh, friend, God fulfills his promise to you. He's a father to you on this Father's Day in Jesus The son, the anointed one, the Messiah, the ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's how Psalm 2 maps onto your life and my life today. You see, Jesus understood that he fulfilled this, particularly on that night, that last night that he was on earth in a pre-resurrection body. On that last night, he gathered all his friends together, the disciples together in the upper room. And and, and he said, I want to have this last supper with you. And on that night, he instituted the sign of the covenant and of the blessing. This is the seal. This is the the down payment. This is the, the, the earnest money. He says, this is going to affirm to you that I keep my promises. I will bless you and I will provide for you the promise that I have given you when he instituted communion the lord's supper this is the sign of the covenant this is what tells you and me that god keeps his promises that he will bless us church and i want to celebrate that right now with you so stay locked into the sermon but ushers can you quietly go back and begin to serve us
Worship team, can you quietly come up here and join me? So Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, commands us, church, to keep this covenantal sign. This is the sign that says, I will keep my promise to you. And listen, by the way, fathers, look at me, fathers, I will keep it to you and to your children. And I can tell you this as an abuelo, okay? And to your children's children. And to your children's children's children. I'll stop there. To your children's 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 children. Ushers, once you're ready, come on down. How did he do that? How did he do that? Because when he grabbed that cup, in a moment we'll distribute them, when he grabbed that cup and he drank it, he was drinking the judgment and wrath of God against every person, against every created being on the earth, above the earth, under the earth, that rebelled against his authority. That's what Psalm 2 says. That final warning. Now, therefore, O kings, therefore you, me, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. I love that language. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Oh, his wrath is kindled against sin. But Jesus drank the cup of cursing. Jesus reversed the curse as God promised in Genesis 3. Jesus is the blessing to all the nations coming from the Hebrew tribe. Jesus is the greater David, the greater king, who rules and reigns forever and ever. He drank the cup of cursing, and he gives us this morning, Christian, the cup of blessing. When you take this, you're saying, amen, Lord. I deserve your curse. I get your blessing. That's how you know. And I pray, I pray that today this would be far more than just something we do. No, no, this is, this is a faith-filled, spirit-filled, filled with God's meaning and word, filled with all of God's heart down through the ages that God blesses the one who takes refuge in him. May he bless you. May the Lord bless you. Because he cursed his son. His son took the curse to give you the blessing. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to distribute the elements. Here's all I have to say. If you're not a believer, first of all, thank you for coming. Secondly, I respectfully ask you to let this cup pass you by. Because this cup of blessing is only available to those, according to verse 12b, blessed are all who take refuge in him. But as it passes you, may it speak to your heart and may you take refuge in him this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the cup of blessing that is ours because, Jesus, you took the curse for us. (laughs) Lord, death was arrested. Our spiritual death was arrested. We were given life through your act of redemption on the cross. Oh, Lord, through your resurrection from the dead, you burst the bounds of death and you defeated sin and death and you say there's life for all those who take refuge in me. I fulfill my promise through Christ Jesus, my King. I have set my King on my holy city. Jesus, you are King. Set him on the holy city of our hearts this morning afresh and anew. I pray, Lord, through this covenantal symbol and sign 
In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers distribute the elements, worship team, would you lead us in that song, Death Was Arrested. Mm-hmm.